is 11.30 here at KRVN. Tyler Cavalli along with you. It's time for Midday here on this Wednesday, June 23rd. Boy, things are warming up once again. Going to feel more summer-like temperatures now that it is officially summer. Temperatures won't be as surprising. 90s already in some locations in the Sandhills and out in the Panhandle. Of course, at 11.45, we'll get the full regional weather update with Paul Perkins to let us know exactly how warm it's going to get today and the potential for severe weather once again for a good chunk of our listening area. Also coming up, we'll hear in uh, sports with Jason Jorgensen. Bob Rogan will join us as well as he will uh, tell us how stocks are performing here on this Wednesday. But let's head out to our Lincoln campus and get caught up with Susan Littlefield. And Susan, uh, appreciate you sharing all those pictures from the nasty storms that moved through eastern Nebraska yesterday. It's tough to see that uh, farmers lost pretty much their, their entire crops from storms last night. It was absolutely crazy. Just very disheartening as, as I saw the photos. And uh, there were a few more that were shared on my Facebook page from a video I was doing last night. Um, I had one farmer who showed me pictures of his cabbage, and it's been pre-shredded now. Wow. Thanks to Mother Nature. So a lot, a lot of frustration for a lot of guys and gals out there. And, and we had a lot of rain and wind and thunder and lightning, all that kind of stuff. We didn't get the hail in our neck of the woods, but just had six miles to the west in Osceola, and they had the hail. So mm-hmm. we were lucky. Yeah, tough to see those pictures of the, the crops being pretty much sawed off by the hail yesterday, or last night, I should say. Uh, but uh, we're hoping that they uh, can recover from that. Yeah, very much so. And it sounds like the potential's back with us again tomorrow into Friday. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not good. All right. Well, what do you have coming up for midday today? Kick it all off here, 1219, as we'll be hearing from Alex and Erin Barrow. She's with the U.S. Meat Export Federation and the growing role of exports in livestock markets as more folks country or worldwide get that appetite and the money to do so to eat more proteins. Then at 1245, I'll speak with Representative Crawford on agriculture, trade, and Cuba and what that's going to mean for U.S. producers as Washington, D.C. is opening back up. Then at 117, Alex is back in as the virtual all-tech One Ideas conference is underway for pork producers. So that is a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. Sure appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. All right. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. And what do you have for us in sports today? Also uh, coming up in sports, we'll talk about the Wisconsin men's basketball team as they had the meeting with their uh, head coach, Greg Gard, back in February. Things not all that great for the Badgers. And someone decided to uh, (laughs) secretly record this meeting, and then they weaponized it (laughs) and uh, gave it to one of the newspapers up there in Wisconsin. Uh, Don't you? Don't you just love 2021? This is... Now coaches, when they have a meeting, they'll say, okay, everybody, cell phones, yes. in the hat. Yeah. Somehow that won't even solve the problem. There will still have people's their watches or whatever. Yeah, you always got to be thinking and Some watching things out. things should remain private. Agreed. All right. Thank you very much. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan and uh, how are stocks performing? Stocks edging higher in uh, trading as investors are continuing to uh, assess rising inflation. And uh, sales of new homes fell in May for a second month, dropping a larger-than-expected amount. So those are a couple of the stories that we're following today. Okay, thank you very much. All that and more coming up on Midday. Let's try-
It is time for the regional ag weather update. Here on this Wednesday, it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Paul Perkins is now joining us. And, well, Paul, uh, tough outs east to see some of those farmers losing some of those crops from the severe weather that they had last night. You, you know, those thunderheads from the central part of Nebraska, they really billowed up. They were mm. some, some serious mushroom-sized clouds last night, yeah. Some very rough weather there. And hail and winds uh, were a big factor as well. And unfortunately, there's a chance, uh, a, a bigger swath, if you will, uh, that we may see some severe weather tonight. Correct, yeah. West central to eastern Nebraska tonight and tomorrow, looking at the potential of some severe weather, uh, potentially late in the day tomorrow into tomorrow night. And once again, uh, later today across western areas, then across the central and east for tonight, some chances at some severe weather. Once again, both areas, west central to eastern Nebraska, in that slight risk of severe storms both today and for tomorrow. Mm, okay, all right. I know you'll have more on that here in just a moment, but right now the biggest story is also the heat that we're going to see once again, and uh, it's going to be another warm one. Yeah, warm enough rather quickly across the area. Most of us still with temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s. Most of us right now in those low 80s, but already seeing some low 90s in the Nebraska Sandhills up through north central Nebraska, including up to 91 at Fedford and 92 on your temperature in the Ainsworth area. The humidity also starting to increase those dew points more so in the mid to upper 60s after being in the 50s this morning. So the humidity is starting to increase. That is giving us some uh, feels like rains right now in the low to mid 80s across the area. Today going to be our hottest day of the next seven. Afternoon highs topping out in the upper 90s to low 100s as the dome of high pressure continues to move overhead. The increasing humidity making it feel like it's anywhere from 100 to 105. Scattered thunderstorms will develop near a low pressure trough in the west late today. Track to the east tonight. Some of those storms could go severe. Once again, especially from west central to eastern Nebraska where the Storm Prediction Center places a slight risk of severe storms. A better chance of thunderstorms tomorrow night through Friday with the cold front tracking to the south. The greater risk of severe weather late tomorrow once again from west central to eastern Nebraska with another slight risk. The main severe threats today and tomorrow, large hail and damaging winds. We do have also more on our KRV and Facebook page. You can check that out there. Most of the rain totals expected to range from a quarter to a half an inch for tomorrow night into Friday. Mainly just some very light amounts if we see any thunderstorms for tonight. With that cold front moving south tomorrow, Nebraska temperatures will be slightly lower, but Kansas will stay hot ahead of that front. Behind the front, temperatures dropping to mostly the 80s for Friday into early next week. A few more thunderstorms may also linger into the weekend. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures seasonal to slightly cooler than normal for the early half of next week. The outlook trends warmer with seasonal to slightly warmer than normal temperatures for both Nebraska and Kansas by late next week through July 6th. For late June and early July, central Nebraska daytime highs on average are in the mid to upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low 60s. Below normal rainfall forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through July 6th, especially for early on next week. Key weather factors driving the markets include a day or two of heat across the plains, a chance for widespread rain across the Corn Belt, and the ongoing heat wave in the Black Sea region. Tonight through the next several days, significant rain will unfold across the Midwest. Five-day totals could reach five inches or more from southeast Iowa and northern Missouri into southern Michigan and northern Indiana. The central and southern plains through the Mid-South also expected to experience some periodic heavy rain. The rain, though, will have a sharp cutoff to the northwest with only light rain expected across the northern plains and far upper Midwest. 
Recent rain, mostly skip Minnesota and northwest Iowa, where drought is worsening. The next rain likely to produce some good rain totals for most states, with the exception of Minnesota. Across the southern plains, the upcoming rain helping to develop corn and soybeans, but could delay wheat harvest. In the very dry northern plains, chances for rain through the weekend look to be mostly isolated. In the Black Sea region, especially... Especially in the Black Sea region, especially southwest Russia, triple-digit heat since the weekend continues the rest of this week. Soil moisture is holding for now after last week's rain, but the heat is drying the soils for the corn and spring wheat. Showers will move into the western Black Sea region this weekend, but the rain may not move into Russia until the middle of next week. So potential for some rain coming up, which is good. But again, the one thing we're looking at later tonight, possibly the next couple of days, the severe weather. Potentially hail is at the biggest threat. Yeah, right now damaging winds and some hail. It's more of a kind of a question mark as to how things may transpire tomorrow because a lot of it will depend on what will be left over for some storm energy after we see some storms move through for tonight. But definitely a potential, once again, west central to eastern Nebraska in that slight risk of severe storms both later today and tonight and also for later tomorrow into tomorrow night. Okay, and you have those maps available for people to see where at? On our KRV and Facebook page, you can check them out there, and it has all the details on some timing and things like that, too. Okay, good stuff. Uh, as always, for a full weather forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you, Paul. Public Power District. The growing role of exports in livestock markets. I'm Alex Wachowski on the World Radio Network. Erin Borer is an economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and she recently spoke on this topic at a UNL webinar. She first explained the role of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, saying it's boots on the ground. We are your boots on the ground around the world, marketing U.S. beef and pork and understanding, you know, from within these markets, uh, what's really driving consumers and even in some cases, what's driving on the policy front as well. And she went on to say that the U.S. MEF is working to build a strong demand for U.S. high-quality, high-value beef and pork. She explained some of the driving factors of the beef and pork trade. The bottom line is that demand for U.S. beef and pork is incredibly strong. So this is a red-hot domestic market as we have um, some vaccine freedom here in this country. And that return to food service, return to events, everything else. But exports have also been red hot, and that's even with a very mixed COVID situation or COVID comeback around the world. So in a sense, you can see um, even more optimism as restaurants are really able to fully reopen and consumers able to get out there in other countries around the world. There's some changes on the China front, super bullish for U.S. beef, some pullback for pork, and some other crazy things happening like with Argentina restricting exports. And you also have this shipping backlog, which continues to impact. So it's hard to imagine how big our exports would be if we didn't have these logistical hurdles, which really are kind of hamstringing us. And that's part of what's driving your inflation of you know, everything. In recapping the beef side of things, Aaron said there's no shortage of beef and demand is driving prices higher. The fact that our, our beef prices are sharply higher than a year ago we're at essentially record levels um, if you exclude what happened last year with our, our plant disruptions. And at the same time, we've been producing more beef and more fed beef than we did not only last year, but also compared to 2019. So it's not a supply issue. It's red hot demand driving this market. 
And that's both domestically and on the export front. We saw those um, March exports record large. And again, we have U.S. beef exports up about 10% this year. And cold storage inventories tightened a bit more in this latest report, um, but still you're seeing product available there in freezers, just maybe not in the format that's wanted or needed at the moment. And then of course we know that the higher import costs and um, near and dear to you in Nebraska are these higher uh, feed and commodity prices playing in here as well. And as for the pork side, she said there's also no shortage of pork and demand and limited freezer inventories are driving pork prices higher. On the pork side, it's very similar, although you have very tight inventories in this case. So when the production slowed last year, we continued to export to consume and that freezer inventory has never been rebuilt. And so this continues to put a real floor on these pork prices. Um, especially as food service is trying to repipeline and as pork is such a critical ingredient for like everything. If we think about going back to baseball games, so just that hot dog and sausage demand, bacon on everything, you know, all of this has continued to, to pull on the demand side and we've not been able to refill freezers. And that has, again, kept these prices at much higher levels. Also at, well, the highest we've seen since 2014 when we had PED. Again, those comments coming from Erin Borer, and she's with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Thanks, Tyler. Well, the College World Series continues tonight with an elimination game as Vanderbilt will take on Stanford. Some interesting news coming out of Madison, Wisconsin this week. Wisconsin seniors were critical of Coach Greg Gard during a late-season team meeting that was secretly recorded and then sent to a newspaper. The Wisconsin State Journal says it received a 37-minute audio file this week of a February 19 team meeting that included seven senior players, Gard, and three assistant coaches. Newspaper says it received the recording from an anonymous email account and that it included only a portion of the actual meeting. Levin University presidents and chancellors who oversee the college football playoff have authorized a continued evaluation of a proposed 12-team playoff. Any plan could still be another five years away. There are many details to sort through to determine the feasibility of tripling the size of the playoff field. Presidents and chancellors say the next step is a summer review phase to hear the opinions from a wide array of people, including athletes, campus leaders, and coaches. Kansas State junior Philip Brooks and sophomore Deuce Vaughn have been named preseason All-Americans by Phil Steele. In his publication, Brooks was named a second-team punt returner, while Vaughn was a third-team all-purpose player. Heritage Hills Golf Course in McCook is hosting the Junior Match Play Championships this week. Certainly a hot afternoon for golf in southwest Nebraska for the girls and boys today. And Brett Ballack has been named the 14th head coach in the history of Nebraska men's golf. He was hired to that position yesterday by Bill Moose. Ballack, who had spent the past two seasons as an assistant coach for the Husker program, previously spent 18 years as a head coach at Nebraska Wesleyan. And there's more than a berth in the NBA Finals for the winner of the improbable matchup between the Bucks and Hawks. The winner of the Eastern Conference Finals that starts tonight will end decades of frustration. 
Milwaukee won its lone NBA title in 1971 and last reached the finals in 1974. The Hawks won their only championship in 1958 and lost in the finals in 57, 60, and 61, and that's when they were playing in St. Louis. The Bucks got to the conference finals by sweeping Miami and then surviving a seven-game series with the second-seeded Brooklyn Nets. That is a look at sports. For more, you can find that anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Tuesday morning session of the Billy Quinn jury trial began with a hearing in Furness County District Court outside of the presence of the jury. Defense attorney Mallory Hughes asked for a mistrial on behalf of Quinn. She cited a letter released by Senator Ben Sass' office asking the Federal Department of Justice to assist in the prosecution of Quinn and others in an ongoing child sex trafficking investigation. Essentially, would appear to be saying that the state needed help with the prosecution and labeling Mr. Quinn and other co-defendants as child rapists. Um, not a single person in this case has been convicted of child sex assault as it stands, and he is labeling Mr. Quinn regarding the very issue that the jury is here to decide, and we still have multiple days of testimony left. Assistant Attorney General Corey O'Brien, who is assisting in prosecuting Quinn and others, opposed the mistrial. He told District Judge David Urbaum that he agrees with Hughes' comments on the inappropriateness of the letter that was sent by Senator Sass while there's a sitting jury trial going on in a matter and Sass making comments about this particular case. Attorneys and Judge Urbaum pulled jurors individually outside the presence of other jury members, media, and the public to see if Senator Sass's statements had any effect on the jurors. After reconvening, Judge Urbaum denied the motion of mistrial and the jury trial continued. New data released Wednesday shows that Nebraska's unemployment rate remained one of the lowest in the country as it fell even lower in May. The state's 2.6% unemployment rate tied with Vermont for the second lowest rate in the nation behind only New Hampshire's 2.5% unemployment. Nebraska's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate declined in May to 2.6% from April's 28 as the number of jobs in the state continued to grow. Nebraska's current un- unemployment rate is less than half of last May's 5.4% unemployment when restrictions related to the coronavirus pandemic prompted widespread layoffs and business closures. Off at Air Force Base's 55th Wing has a new leader, the first woman to command the 80-year-old reconnaissance unit. The Omaha World Herald reports that Colonel Kristen Thompson took over command Tuesday, becoming the first woman among the 65 officers who have led the unit since it was established in 1941. She replaces Colonel Gavin Marks, who was the first black leader of the unit. Marks led the 55th Wing through a tumultuous time that included the early stages of recovery from the March 2019 floods and the COVID-19 pandemic. About 300 people, including Nebraska Governor Peter Ricketts, attended the ceremony. A 24-year-old Omaha man was injured in a jet ski collision at about 4 p.m. June 21st at Lake McConaughey State Recreation Area in Keith County. The man was taken to UC Health University of Colorado Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. He and a 27-year-old Omaha man were driving their jet skis in the Martin Bay area of the lake near Beach Area Number 2 when the 27-year-old collided with the man's jet ski, striking his leg. The man fell off and was taken to shore. Keystone 
Keystone, Lemoyne Fire and Rescue Emergency Medical Services provided medical treatment at the scene. Nebraska State Patrol and Keith County Sheriff's Office also assisted. The Nebraska Game and Parks Commission is investigating the incident. No citations have been issued at this time. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen. Titan.org. As the world comes back to a new norm, so does the reopening of Washington, D.C. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Representative Rick Crawford, who represents the 1st District in Arkansas, is a member of the House Agricultural Committee. He talks about the reopening of D.C. Uh, particularly, I think, you know, you know we just, we're coming off of Memorial Day break, and you can see a marked difference. Number one, uh, fewer people wearing masks, and that's largely attributed to uh, vaccinations. Um, and I think just uh, in general, I think people are ready to, to get back to normal and, and see the country fully reopened. And, and uh, if the capital is fully reopened, that sends a signal to the rest of the country. At one point, work was underway to have trade with Cuba. And according to the representative, it's on the docket to have more discussions once again. I think we're going to probably start to broach the subject again. And, and I think what we've seen over the last couple of years most notably since um, uh, Miguel Diaz-Canal decided to acknowledge uh, Maduro's election victory, which most of the world did not. Uh, he aligned with you know, some of the, some of the uh, folks that probably did not mesh well with the uh, relationship with the United States. And um, that sort of took a lot of the luster off of this effort to try to normalize relationships with Cuba. Um, and so it sort of stalled, quite frankly. And, and I think people probably looked at it as if they, you know, myself included, uh, I, you know, I don't want to go down that road and alienate, you know, my colleagues um, over this issue when Miguel Diaz-Canal, I, I had hoped that when he ascended to the position that he's in now, that he would be a reformer-type figure. Um, that was the impression I got initially. I haven't had the opportunity to meet him, but there was an effort on their part to to facilitate a meeting. And after the Maduro thing, I was uh, you know, kind of cooled on him a little bit. Uh, we're starting to see that turn. Um, I think people need to understand that the Cuba trade is a highly charged political issue that presidents don't want to touch typically in their first term. And the reason is, is because Florida is a pivotal state and uh, the Cuban-Americans in South Florida are very vocal. Um, but I honestly think that, and I've seen polling over the years, and when I say over the years, I'm talking about probably the last you know, five or six years. And that, he says, is a generational shift when it comes to that attitude. And so now we have um, you know, millennial Cuban-Americans asking the question, why can't I not go back and visit my grandmother or my grandfather in Cuba? Um, valid point. And, and we saw that the president, uh, President Obama took some steps uh, to that end, but everything he did was executive action. And I think the mistake that he made was he assumed he needed, obviously, we had a Republican majority in, throughout most of his uh, tenure, and he assumed that Republicans wouldn't support anything to do with changing posture in Cuba. I think that was not a good assumption. So he did everything unilaterally through executive action and of course then Trump 
came in and sort of reflexively did away with all of that. So we've not been able to make progress in a meaningful way in that because it's a back and forth. It's it's always a political football. And and I think, quite frankly, on the ag front, we would be doing ourselves and the Cuban people a major favor by saying, let's let's start this process by selling U.S. ag products in Cuba. And if we can get there, I think we can take the next steps and build on that. Um, there are those in Congress that perf- you know, propose a full-on repeal of the embargo and an immediate sort of uh, uh, reestablishment of a relationship with Cuba. Uh, I'm not rejecting that, uh, but I think the best place to start is with ag. Another aspect of agriculture that Representative Crawford is looking at is agriculture and intelligence and how they meet together. On the Cuba front, that was one of the reasons why so many people checked out because of the uh, the sonic attacks that took place on our diplomats in, in Cuba. And, and uh, I was engaged in that issue uh, because of my position on the Intelligence Committee and, and also because of the relationships that I had fostered over the years because of the ag stuff. So it kind of put me in a unique position. But it, it um, you know, I try to find a nexus between and among all my committee assignments, wherever they might be. So, you know, it's no coincidence that I introduced the AIM Act, the Ag Intelligence Measures Act, because it's been something that's been a concern to me since before I ever got in Congress, is that our food chain is vulnerable to foreign attack. And where I think we fall down here in the United States is mostly due to a failure of imagination. We, we can't imagine ever anybody ever doing that. But when we have gaps, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities, our adversaries are looking for those opportunities to exploit those. And the pandemic sort of brought those weaknesses, gaps, and vulnerabilities to the fore. So I thought now is a good time, while people's, you know, we've got people's attention, now's a good time to bring this intelligence piece to the, to the floor because it's important for folks to know that, that food security is national security. And if our, if our food security, uh, our food chain integrity is, is breached, we have a major vulnerability. That's Representative Rick Crawford from Arkansas. Thanks to fellow farm broadcaster Tony St. James for his audio interview with this congressman. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Alltech One Ideas Conference Pig Track this year focuses on hog hotels, nutrition, and more. I'm Alex Wachowski reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Russell Gilliam is a U.S. swine business leader for Alltech, and he says the sessions will feature topics from around the world of interest to all pig farmers. We have a really interesting pig track this year. I think one that's really raised the bar. And we have a number of different topics from all over the globe showing how our customers can learn some new technologies, but enhancement of some existing technologies. And we'll start out early in the program with Dan Boussier from Group Ceres. And what we're going to learn from him is litters with longevity and how we optimize that piglet's nutrition for the long term, where we're setting them up for high performance performance from a very young age. He says another presentation focuses on high-rise piggeries known as hog hotels. They're all over the news where we're doing these pig hotels and we have one of the leaders in that area from China, Yu Ping, 
and he's the chairman and founder of what's called Use Design. And a number of his designs are actually being put in practice throughout China. And I think a lot of people are going to be very interested to see this. There's a lot of eyes on this as it develops and learning how can we really reduce our footprint of these pig barns and also capitalize on the genetic potential of our animals. And Gilliam adds that one session will focus on improving pig production with technology. We're going to hear from John Hook, who's the president of Summit Smart Farms, and he's going to talk about improving pig production with better technology or higher technology, if you will. We're going to learn about remote learning. We're going to learn about machine learning. We're also going to look at some other tech trends that are enhancing not only the performance of those animals, but also the welfare of those animals. And Gillian adds that another presentation will focus on the role that nutrition plays in the sustainability of the food chain, including nutrition and pig safety. And we're going to hear about that from a panel discussion, which I will be leading with Dr. Scott D., Dr. Barry Kirkhart, and Dr. John DeYoung. And they're going to lead us down this pathway of what they've learned over the last couple of years of improving biosecurity, not only at farm level, feed level, feed trucks, feed mills, etc., and how they've also improved their performance throughout that same time frame. Again, those comments coming from Russell Gilliam with Alltech. And along those same lines, with health and nutrition, the National Pork Board says AgView, which is a free opt-in technology solution from the Pork Board, helps producers of all sizes and types provide disease status updates and pig movement data to state animal health offices. The Pork Board said it's playing a vital role in business continuity should there be a foreign animal disease outbreak in the United States. As more producers learn about AgView and utilize the program, they say the next focus is keeping records updated. Patrick Webb, he is a veterinarian and director of swine health with the National Pork Board, explains more. Our state animal health officials need updated and accurate data for locations and movements in order to mount an effective response to an outbreak like that. If they don't have any data, you have to go on the precautionary principle and all of a sudden we've stopped movement with little or no idea of when we would start again. And so our producers have that data. We just need a way to get that to the state animal health officials in a way that it's secure and a method that allows it to be understood in a way that they can make risk-based decisions versus just stop movements. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Your roots. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Now let's shank in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we take a look here at the closing grain trade, really wheat having a good day, but it's the corn and soybeans that kind of struggle to get away with it. Uh, really, though, in that longer-term picture, do we just kind of need to get through to see what July brings us in terms of hot and dry? Yeah, not a lot to talk about uh, in the overnight session. You have a nice little rain shower. Uh, drop over Iowa. Forecasts are dodgy as far as what's going to be in the forecast after two weeks. Everything looks really good out east as far as getting rain. Maybe too much to a certain degree. Whereas the uh, the folks out west, north, you guys are are going to be without. So I think the uh, you know we wait for some export numbers tomorrow. We'll see what China did last week in corn and beans, and those remarks to at least give us another shot at selling maybe the weekly highs before before Friday. 
And then we look here at that July soybeans. And that's something, or July, July corn. Is that something we're about a week away from it going into its first notice day? We're seeing it really kind of be propped up over a dollar thirteen or a dollar ahead of that uh, December contract, really a dollar thirty one coming into the close here today. Does that kind of show that maybe we're finding some extra buying trying to prop up that old crop while we wait out to see what the weather does for this new crop? Yeah, I mean, on the corn side, I think you have a wheat, wheat market that's being flooded with supply short-term. Harvest is moving quickly. I'd imagine uh, way on southeastern, southwestern Kansas, but down in the panhandle under. So that's that's pulling wheat, or that's pulling the board now. But I think once Unfortunately, having some phone difficulties there with John Payne. Again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. If you'd like to continue this conversation where we're unable to at the moment, check out danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. There you can sign up for John's daily free newsletter. He calls it This Week in Grain. That's where he can shoot it and delivers it right to everyone's inbox. Again, he offers that as a free service. But we did see both the corn and soybeans in lower in the red today. Really, it was a meal port play that put a lot of pressure back over on soybeans and interesting for the corn again the july contract ends in the green and then we go all the way out to december new crop 2022 to find more green on the screen while we kind of just saw some general light selling that it really came back though off of its lows in the afternoon trade to try and end that corn market up higher and the outside trade u.s dollar index not really a factor here today is it's kind of laid flat all day currently up just three ticks at 91.77 waiting to see the latest and what the fed wants to do when it comes to tapering minneapolis spring wheat though gains almost three percent on the day while the kansas city week contracts up two and a half percent across the board thank you very much clay that will take care of midday here on this wednesday catch the midday podcast sponsored by defending motors wherever podcasts are available or krvn.com